Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. This is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts, and uh, we've got a special treat for you today. We've got my colleague, actually, at Arcos Global Advisors, Mike Richter, with us today. Mike, say hello. Hello, Jeff. (laughs) Well, Mike, thanks for being with us. Since we actually work together now, I get the benefit of working with Mike on a on a daily basis. So we're we're working together at a wealth management company, obviously. But Mike has a storied career, actually, with various accounting firms, where he started as employee and became an owner and partnered with others and sold a professional services business. And so I thought this would be a very unique story. Mike's a very generous guy, a very thoughtful guy. And I know you're going to be blessed uh, by his story. So, Mike, let's uh, let's just get into it. Tell us, as you as you know, we usually try to start by just uh, learning something about how where people grew up, uh, what their family was like. What what was it like uh, for you growing up? Well, Jeff, I'll tell you the story, and it begins with uh, my sweet wife. Been married to Georgian for 47 years, and. Uh, actually have known her for 55 years uh, from uh, a youth group at church. And uh, I wanted to marry her at some point in time. She doesn't believe that. Uh, But uh, I've known her and loved her uh, for a long period. I've got three daughters and uh, two son-in-laws, nine grandkids from ages three to 17. My parents are both living. My dad is 95. My mom is 93. And I had three siblings, three boys and a girl. And that is a part of that family. My parents' background is pretty interesting. They grew up, both grew up on farms. And uh, my dad finished high school and my mom made it through seventh grade and lost her dad at the age of 12, I believe it was, and uh, was not able to finish. Uh, My dad uh, has taught me an awful lot. He has worked actually two to three jobs as a machinist for as long as I can remember. He could fix and build uh, just about anything, and I was there right along with him in uh, doing construction work, plumbing work, electrical work, car repairs, engine and body work. And that's what uh, he did, and he taught me how to do an awful lot. My mom, uh, on the other hand, uh, she was kind of like the chief operating officer uh, of the company. Uh, She managed the money, and uh, she was frugal, and that's spelled in all caps. (laughs) And uh, what I describe her as, I describe her as a Proverbs 31 woman, but verse 27 really depicts what I, uh, how I view her. And uh, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And uh, she is always doing something, even at 93, going on 94. Uh, they both taught us how to work hard with excellence and work, worked alongside of us, helping us with projects and jobs and uh, and no allowance, by the way. Entitlement was not a program at the Rick. If you go spend money, you go earn it. 
That is exactly <laughs> right. You, you said it. And, well, uh, they probably had. They probably grew up a little bit in the depression, or they were kids, maybe during very the much, right? very much. The, my mom was born in twenty nine. Yeah, right in the twenty seven, right at the right heart. Of it. It. Yeah, right at the heart of it. But it was kind of interesting. I have a picture in my mind of Sunday mornings, and my dad sitting at a desk, a little desk in the kitchen, writing out his tithe oh, yeah. check. And I'd, I'd ask him what he was doing, and, and I'll never forget it. And it gave me the first inkling of uh, how he tied his resources and our family and uh, taught me that first lesson. Well, there's something to that. You know, when, when uh, uh, for those under 30, a check is something that you write on. <laughs> but, uh, 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 but, you know, there's something about, I've heard many people kind of complain about this idea of, even not even not seeing the check be written, but not seeing anything be put in the uh, uh, in the offering. You know, these days with electronic everything, it's kind of a, it's it's harder. It is so to physically witness right the the act of giving and I appreciate that. yeah. So uh, anyway, we gotta we gotta work on that. And I struggle with that. A yeah, bit no, me too. Out. Well, I'll give you a little bit of my story. Yeah, um, my background was I went to a church school from grades K to 8, went to public high school from 9 to 12, loved sports, uh, baseball and basketball was my thing, and uh, after I graduated, uh, I went to Texas A&M University, got a BBA degree, business administration degree in 75 with a concentration in accounting, and then uh, passed the CPA exam in 79. Starting with my first job, uh, you can probably appreciate this. Uh, my mom knew all the older ladies at church, and uh, they all had yards and houses. And so uh, she had me mowing lawns at the age of seven. Wow. <laughs> and it was very clearly communicated to me at that point. If you're going to go to college, you're going to be paying for it yourself. Food will be provided, and if you want a car, you can buy one yourself, so save your shekels. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. During the college years from 71 to 75, I continued kind of developing my skill set. I worked as a construction supervisor for Port-A-Camp, not Port-A-Can. It was a, a, a company that built camps for oil field drilling companies okay. overseas for people to stay in basically for people to stay yeah, in yeah right and i was a construction supervisor i was working in what was called the grave graveyard shift from 5 p.m to 2 a.m and then uh i slept till about nine and then did lawns till five and started over the next day so that was my college years wait was that during the summer that was during the summer okay okay that's hard work. Now, where were you? Where, where, where physically were you? Were you in in Houston? In Houston, okay. Well, I went to school at Texas A&M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, During the summer, I wasn't sure where that was. Okay. Yeah, I stayed in Houston. Okay. Okay, and so, all right, you get out with an accounting degree, right? Uh, that's what seventy five. All right. Uh, where do you go to? Uh, you go to a big firm, a small firm. How'd that all play out? 
Well, I started out working as an internal auditor for Texas Commerce Bank, auditing various banks and their holding company. And so I traveled across Texas for a year and a half auditing banks, and uh, it was uh, boring, <laughs> to say the least. I, I couldn't get real excited about it, so I decided to make a change. Now, for those of you who hear this, you may think you went from boring to borer. Uh, so after that, I had known a man who was uh, a good friend of a girl that I had gone to school with. And uh, he was had an accounting firm, a small accounting firm. His name was Carl Schulze, and he had a partner by the name of Bill Hartwick. And I went to them to see if they would uh, be interested in hiring me. And uh, I know they they knew me well because I would play pool over at this gal's house while they were there with her dad talking about business. Wow. <laughs> so I kind of got a feeling for what kind of business they were in. And uh, they had a public accounting firm, which was really good. And those two men... Uh, from 79, 79, yeah. uh, forward to, uh, 96 wow. mentored me and they were both Rice university grads, knew a lot of people in Houston and believe it or not, they made me a partner in 79 and the real, the fun really began at that point in time. I learned a tremendous amount about managing people and growing a business, but I also learned a lot about myself, and that was what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were and, were, and what I needed to complement. How many people we think were in the firm when you joined it? Ball. Eight people. Eight? Okay. So, and, yeah. and four of those left before I was there for two years. Okay. <laughs> 50% turnover as soon as you showed up. <laughs> I don't know if that was because yeah, of me exactly. or because they were doing as So maybe you got there a little, I put, I put 79 in your mouth, but maybe you got there a couple of years. You got out in 75, maybe a couple out, years at the back. out 77, then in okay. 79. So I was there for two years from 77 to 96. Okay. But after, you know, I was like, in two years, they make me a partner. Okay. I think it's because all the, these other fellows left. Right. And kind of left. We got to keep this at least one of them. Keep one of them. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, in hindsight, really a blessing to me. Yeah. Even though it was a real challenge as well. And did you, so did did that, you just felt a commitment to try to live up to that? Yes. To the commitment they made. Commitment they made. And and an early. Because, you know, I started public accounting with the big firms, Arthur Anderson in particular, and it was. It was a 14-year track to partner Absolutely. when I was there. And so for you to be e- e- even, you know, two years in, I mean, I know you had a couple other years of experience, but you're still well under 10 years That's what I out said. of college, right? I mean, I had to learn fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So now the, now the so that's the part of the story. So how did that kind of play out? How, how did that continue? Well, that played out in this way. The firm grew. Uh, to about 50 plus people and five partners over a period of about 19 to 20 years through 96. And at that point in 97, I decided 
that, and this corresponded pretty closely to something I'm going to talk about a little bit later. I made a commitment to really reduce the time that I was spending with the business. Now, when you go from 80 to 60 hours a week, it's, it's quite a change, but it still was a lot of time. Yeah. And I felt like with the business environment changing, it was becoming more difficult to hire qualified people in the accounting profession. And so I really needed some partners to join to venture with to really get the expertise and hire the people and the HR people that it took. Kind of get to the next level. To get to the next level. Yeah. It's exactly right. And and I had actually done that before I decided to merge with this group. And uh, I, so I brought an HR person with me. Okay. And which helped really dramatically in our merger. And so when we merged, we were at about 130 people. So I had about 50 in the firm that I was with and 80 was about the head count that the firm that I was merging with had. So we had 130 people total. For a period of about five years, we practiced and we grew from 130 to 250. And how many years? Five years. Wow. That's that was growth. It was a dramatic growth. And it was also the period of time when accounting firms were getting into the wealth advisory yeah. business. And that's when I started that process over at that firm. They wanted me to take that. And I agreed to take the uh, wealth advisory side and try to develop it within the accounting firm. So 250 people, and of course, you eventually sold this uh, to uh, a larger firm, BDO, as we know. In, 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 in what year was that? That was in year 2014. 14. There was an interim step there. Okay, yeah. What was the interim step? The interim step was from 2001 to 2014. We decided to become a regional firm in the U.S., and we merged with a firm in New York, in Boston, a firm in St. Louis, and a, a firm in Detroit. And so there were actually five different locations, including Houston, that we merged with. And, you know, the good thing about this group is it was during a real growth period, and uh, our Houston office grew to about 500 people during that time. And the rest of the firms grew as well. And we had about 1,300 people across the regional firm. But we also found out that the, the mechanics which we merged together with, we kind of siloed ourselves yeah. in separate firms. And that wasn't working real well, even though in Houston, we had significant growth. It just wasn't. An enjoyable process to the the, the integration never took place maybe the way that everybody had dreamed, right? That's right. The integration never really worked well. Well, and and we get into this now or later, but I know one of the things we were talking about before we started recording today is, you know, eventually as you sold 
that company. You know, I know we're going to get into your spiritual journey as well here, but just from a transactional standpoint, it's not like you as one granted lead partner in Houston, but didn't have control. And sometimes we talk to different business owners who maybe do have control, but some don't when they sell an entity and when they want to be generous. And so how did you think about that when, when that entity sold for yourself? You know, do you mind sharing? Well, and I was very focused on making the wealth that God gave me to steward something that I could use for his kingdom. And I had made a commitment to do that. And this was a pivotal point during this period that I've just talked about. It was in 9-11. It was my 9-11. Yeah, okay. So let's go back. That's probably a good time to go back and frame your spiritual journey. So it'll, that'll make more sense, that transaction at the end there. Yes. Okay. So 9-11, that's not 01. When most people think 9-11, they think about 9-11-01. And this is 9-11-81. Mike Richter's personal 9-11. The first personal 9-11. Okay, let's hear about and, that. Uh, I, I had uh, purchased a, a farm with my dad about 100 miles from Houston, and we were headed out there and to do some work to cut some fence posts, and uh, I was using a chainsaw uh, without eye protection, which is never a good thing to do, but, you know, you feel like you're Superman when you're... 37 years old. 37 years old. Uh, But uh, what happened was a fleck of wood blew into my right or left pupil of my eye, and I immediately lost my sight, and we're 200 miles ago. I mean, 100 miles away from Houston at that point, and there's not a local doctor to be found, much less did I have a, an ophthalmologist or an eye doctor that I had been seeing. And so between the location of the farm and on the way home, I was laying in the back seat, mm. and uh, you can imagine what was going through my mind. I was wondering if I was ever going to see again, mm. play ball, hit a golf ball or doing any of that type of stuff with one eye. And I would just uh, ask the Lord very clearly, if he would heal my eye, I would allow him to steward his resources for the remainder of my life in a way that I hadn't been doing before. And believe it or not, not believe it or not, but just trusting he healed my eye and I can see out of it now. And uh, now, did you get to a doctor, or did it just no miraculously open? What? How did? How did it go? Miraculously open. I I had made a call. George Ann was with me in the car, and my brother was driving uh, quite fast <laughs> to get to Houston. Yeah. And she had a George Ann had a cousin who was a physician but not an eye doctor, yep. and we called him and asked him for a referral. Right. And he referred me to Dr. Milton Bonak, who was a well-known Baylor College of Medicine doctor, and I got to him on the way. Once we got to Houston, I saw him right away. had surgery the next day. Wow. It was incredible. That was another miraculous part of God's healing for me. And uh, it took about a year to heal totally. Wow. But God gave me my eyesight back. And uh, so. But you remembered the deal. I Apparently, remember so the did deal. God. 
Well, so you told me something else happened that year. Well, I was asked in the same year uh-huh. uh, to chair or co-chair a building program at our church. And interestingly enough, this was a real challenge for me, and I didn't really realize what I was getting in signing up for. <laughs> But uh, I found out pretty quickly that I was going to be one of the large gift givers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it didn't. We were just talking about it earlier. It didn't mean you were just going to speak about this, but this came with the uh, a lead gift, if you will. Yeah, it came with the lead gift commitment, yeah. and uh, you know, it was my first really large gift that I can recall. And God, uh, you know, had me walk through it in faith and uh, the bro the program uh was funded uh and almost completely uh it was just a blessing to be a part of and uh i was so thankful for it but it, that was probably not a coincidence is it fair to say that that he gave you that it almost seems like a test you, it was i'm picturing you laying in the back of your brother's car thinking about how this is going to go down you make a deal with god which many of us have done in a crisis and in a crisis. He brings you through it. And he brings you through it. Then he gives you a test. And that was the test. Yeah. That was the, the first test. Interesting. Yeah, there have been, uh, been others. There's been a few other tests. Uh, and But this uh, spiritual maturity continued to grow, right? I mean, you talked about doing a lot of Bible study and getting into some more spiritual growth, like yes. BSF and things like that. Maybe tell us a little more about that. Yeah, let me tell you. In 1986, I was introduced by uh, a man that mentored me to Bible study fellowship. And that started a 10 year commitment of which for five of those years, I finished the program, which was five years at the time yep. that I went through it. And then I taught it for five years at our church and it just helped me understand God's word daily and, uh, applying what I learned to my life and began to use God's word to pray for my family and others it was it was just a pivotal spiritual growth period for me from 1986 to 96 and now when now your girls are growing up along this time also right you've got you mentioned earlier three daughters and the oldest one at some point is going off to school and you were telling me an interesting story about that maybe you can extrapolate on that a little bit Yes, and uh, I remember the date very well because uh, at December 24th of 1995, I was kneeling by my bed writing letters of encouragement to my three daughters, which I had done since they were born, and to my wife. And uh, I was kind of taking account of the years and the age of my oldest daughter. She was going to be 16. And I'm thinking she's got maybe two years before she's off at college. And have I done a good job as her dad in teaching her and uh, really talking to her about things that a dad needs to talk to her about? So I felt really inadequate. I finished praying and I look over on the little table next to my bed and there was a magazine laying upside down and it just so happened to be a promise keepers magazine and it had on the back of it jh ranch 
the everlasting adventure mm. and had a small picture, really small of Chuck Swindoll who was endorsing it. And so I knew Chuck Swindoll. I didn't know anything about J.H. Ranch. And so I tore that cover off. I ripped it off. I folded it up into an envelope and put it in there with the letter to my daughter. And at Christmas, gave it to her as a gift. And my wife and the girls were all sitting there looking at that and asking me the question, what is this J.H. Ranch? And I said, I don't know, but we're going <laughs> in the summer. And so that trip took place in August of about 96. And uh, you were saying that there was, it was 10 days, right? Yeah. And, and it like, it, you know, it forced you to sort of, you're kind of a worker. Uh, kind of. You're a big time worker. Uh, You've been trained from your parents on about right. hard work and, right. not, you know, early partner, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you, so you go to this place where you got to have silence. What was that like? <laughs> really? You know, and it, and, you don't have to have silence. But I mean quiet time, I should quiet say. Quiet time yeah. would be a Things to ponder sense. life, not just business. Ponder yeah. life. But I had committed in order to do that, that I was not going to call home or call the office for 10 days. Now, you talk about that was, withdrawal. That was withdrawal. <laughs> and I, after the first four days, I was still thinking, what in the world have you done? This is even pre, before everybody has a cell phone, frankly, maybe well, a I had giant a plug phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. That giant one, but, but it's, but even, yeah. Even so, that. So it, I did not call home, but after the fifth day, I heard what God was, had me there to say. And this is what he said to me. He said, Mike, he said, you have made your business a mistress mm. in your life. Mm. And I started thinking about that and said, oh, that can't be. Mm. But it was. And I just uh, almost that night at the hay bales, I just broke down and just lost it. Mm. And uh, so I think that 10-day period was a day that God had planned for me yeah. before I was born and uh, went out there and he spoke to me in a small, clear voice and told me that. And so I guess I needed to tell my wife that I was, uh, that I really was sorry for what I had done. And so I headed on home and uh, really immediately almost apologized to her and asked her for her forgiveness and uh she's very gracious and uh and did forgive me and um i'm probably to this day she's probably thinking what in the world happened not <laughs> <here?" laughs> what'd you say about a mistress and where you been for 10 days but uh it, different kind but but i think that's a you know when you first told me that story i thought that was beautiful because I know that I'm guilty of thinking about business probably to a fault, and I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, running on the treadmill listening to this who are going, "Boy, that speaks to me." I, and we know we usually don't think of uh, we, we sometimes we think about hard work as a virtue only, but maybe like all positive things, if we take it to excess, 
It, it can become some kind of mistress, or like I always like to say, little G God. Your little G, you know, that gets in the way of the better stuff. And so, now you you kind of hinted at it earlier on your in your business timeline and story there about how you kind of pared back, you know, maybe from eighty to sixty hours a week or something like that. Okay, so as you're starting to pare back, I mean, it's not like sixty hours a week is a small number, but but you did start volunteering with JH Rand. Right. Yeah. So tell us uh, about that. After I came back from the ranch, I uh, had asked Bruce Johnston, who is the uh, one of the founders, uh, with his dad, and he, I asked him if there was anything that I could do to help, and of course, uh, he said, "Sure. Uh, I just lost a couple board members, and uh, would you mind or be willing to serve on the board with me?" Well, I said, yes, I would do that. It was still type a little bit more of a family-oriented ministry at that mm-hmm. time, and so they had a lot of family members involved with it. And so from 97 to 2014, which was 17 years, I committed to work as chairman of the board, and it was an incredible time of growth for me. And uh, I was telling Jeff, I don't know, looking back, how I did it, but God allowed me to commit my time to that ministry in a way which only he could do. And I did it, and along with the work that I had and with my family as well. So it was quite, uh, a commitment to me, and I'm still on the board to this day uh, because I believe in what God is doing there. It changed my life uh, for eternity. And uh, well, it sounds like he. Uh, I mean, that's such a logical progression to make. And I know it maybe didn't seem so linear at the time, but just you know, God pairs back your hours working because He says, "I got something else I need you to accomplish. It's not just about work." You know, I've got this mission for you here to work on. And then, and then you look back, you're like, wait, how'd I get all the work done that I got done before? So there's some God math in there somewhere about how he redeems time and tries to set our priorities to give us a richer, a richer life, richer life in his, in his kingdom and for his purpose. And, uh, and that, uh, ultimately I'll just kind of segue back yeah. to the business. Yeah, please do. And from that point in 2014. Yeah, when you were selling this combined entity. Combined entity, we ended up just selling the Houston office. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, we didn't sell the combined entity because. They weren't that integrated anyway. They, it <laughs> yeah. wasn't that integrated. But it was still 500 people, right? It was 500 people. Yeah, that's still big. And it's a huge office in yeah. Houston. We were the largest local firm in Houston. Yeah. And BDO had an interest in us. And uh, and it was also at a time where I had reached their retirement age. And so I, uh, as a part of the, the group, we as a group of partners agreed to merge into them. And uh, there was a, uh, a liquidation event, uh, you know, for the people the partners that were owners and uh you know it, this is a professional firm is a, a challenge to sell and to 
give as a non-cash gift. So yeah, and let's let's back up there because you and I are so used to this language. Not everybody uh, listening to this knows about this, but that this is going to be a really good, great case study for everybody. Of you know, a, a lot of times, and of course, what we do here at Arcos, right? We deal with a lot of business owners having liquidity events, and what we'll often do is if they have you know, guys put it on their heart to be generous, you know, uh, unfortunately, most people, even the generous people sell the company and then just try to give away the money uh, a little bit at a time, or, 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 or as we say, pray and spray at the end of the year, they had a big transaction. Uh, but we always try to say, Hey, take a look, maybe you can do a pre-tax transaction, but usually, which means you can give away a piece of the company into like a donor advised fund, like or someplace like that and avoid the capital gain on the portion you put in the donor advised fund. But what's interesting about your story, and not that uncommon actually, uh, in, in minority positions, sometimes you don't control whether that's possible. And so in your case, that was not possible. Is that right? It was not. And uh, we had tried to to get it done, but it just did not work. And so, you know, I said, uh, uh, I had committed my resources to God and uh, that he had given me stewardship over. And so I took a fixed sum of the buyout of my share and pledged it to National Christian Foundation, not pledged it. I gave it to a National Christian Foundation as a, in a donor advice fund that I set up. And, uh, you know, it's something I've used it up uh yep. during these years but it was multiple times of a of a tide but it still works well and and just because you and i are in this business you know uh we're a couple of uh recovering cpas and uh but when we're in the wealth manager business and i know you still do some tax work but the but the uh you know just for the people out there uh they they may not know this stuff but this is not uncommon so we you know, we have a, a client that just sold their company a couple of weeks ago, and uh, same kind of thing. Structurally, they couldn't put it in a donor advice fund before the sale, just for some special reasons. It was in some trust and this sort of thing. But you know, they're able to give thirty percent of the of their level of income into a donor advice fund and still write that off. It's still significant. Reduce the tax bill absolutely uh, significantly. So. Right. There are other ways to do it. So I, I don't want people thinking, well, gosh, if I can't do it pre-tax, there's nothing I can do. There's still things you can do, right? Right. And and I was able to invest the money outside and have given non-cash gifts. From beyond investment, that. Beyond that. Yeah. So it's really a, a good thing for professionals to think about, you know, whether you're in a medical profession or whether you're in a legal profession, yes. accounting profession, you can do these gifts in a in a way which is God honoring and uh, giving him a part of what he has blessed you with that ultimately has allowed you to experience the wealth that you have accumulated. Well, I just uh, yeah, I just love your uh, um, heart for JH Ranch. You've just been so consistent, and I know that you have a heart for. Um, life transformation and and dealing with people that are, uh, as you call it, so, 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 somehow God always puts you in front of people that are in crisis. I've noticed, 
<laughs> you, you want to talk a little somehow. about uh, somehow? I mean, you're very, you're such a, and I think people can even tell uh, from your voice cadence that you're a very level-headed person. And I've always been amazed uh, as I've gotten to know you that uh, for some reason, God puts you around other people that are in the in need of of some of that leveling. You, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, and uh, it's it's really another way to give. Yeah, and uh, I've just the Lord has gifted me in that way. I mean, He has not gifted me in other ways, but He's gifted me in that way, and uh, to help uh, counsel with Him and help clarify where they are, what they need to do, how did they get there, and how to live a fruitful life outside of being in crisis. And What's interesting is I've seen you do it professionally in meetings with clients. I've seen you do it in meetings with prospects, with people that don't become clients. Right. Uh, and then I, I know you to this day, you still spend a lot of time at J.H. Ranch and and on the board and dealing with that, right. which ministers to people like you were talking to, families. You just, just talk a little about the mission of J.H. Maybe. Well, the mission of J.H. Ranch, and this is why I took my daughter and I took yeah. all three of the daughters there. It allows parents, and uh, we call it uh, parent teens, but it can actually be people that are outside of the teenage years, but to really spend time with them focusing on what their purpose in life is, what does God have planned for them, how does how do you steward your life in doing things for his kingdom work? And then you couple that with a commitment to be in God's word and your abiding relationship with him. And that's something that, you know, the challenge that I had was with the time that I spent with the company, I wasn't spending time, appropriate time with my daughter. Pouring into the girls. Pouring into the girls. And so I had to do catch up. Yeah. And J.H. Ranch facilitates that process. And I will tell you, if you ask every daughter and you ask my wife, there's probably not a time in my life and in their lives that we will ever have the opportunity again to do something like that for a 10-day period. Exactly. I mean, you have to, that is a serious time carver. It's a, it's a serious really, time carver. You have car to carve it out. You do have to carve it out. And, you know, some people, you know, it might be easy to do, but for me, it was not. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't think most people think it's easy to do, but you prioritize those things. So, okay, Mike, well, as we, as we wrap this up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, this is the generous business owner podcast. We're thinking about all kinds of business owners at all different stages of their career, if you will. And, uh, you know, one of the things that is so interesting about your story is the way God really stopped you in your tracks. You kind of made a deal with him. He tested you. He got you into his word. Uh, he took you to J.H. Ranch, which... <laughs> was supposed to be about training for your daughter, and you learned, it sounds like, about it as much or more than she did. And, uh, and a lot of that was around your time management and, and commitment. Um, so as you just sort of think about your story and, and, and for somebody maybe a little behind you on this journey as a business owner, what, what's we always try to go business owner, business owner here and think about a practical 
uh, that we could leave with folks. Uh, what might you leave with, with folks today? Well, I, I think there's really a couple things that, that I'd like to leave you with. And, uh, and I kind of focus my life in this. And then my goal is to give generously of my life. And that is categorized as time, talents, and treasure by investing in family, friends, people in crisis. And I put IE relational evangelism. Mm. I'm a rational evangelist. I'm not a Billy Graham. And relational I'm evangelist. And so I think, I think for the people listening, at least for me, um, sometimes it's easier to write the checks. It is do the, uh, the time and, and the talent. Uh, so, so maybe what's your encouragement on, on thinking a little more holistic about this? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this little saying that we have at the ranch that, uh, and it's for dads. And it says, a father becomes successful through adversity. Then with his success, he banishes his children from his children's lives, the very thing that's made him successful. And what is he banishing? What is he banishing? You're banishing an awful lot there. Just thinking about that. The pure time. Just the pure time. And then I'll, I'm going to give you this last verse and maybe sign off with this. And uh, my life verse is Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, where it talks about, therefore, since there's such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, running with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set forth before us, endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, let us not grow tired or weary. And as Steve Farrar says in his Finishing Strong, it doesn't matter how much, so much how you start the race, but what does matter is how you finish. Yeah, and I, and I would say from, it's uh, a beautiful couple of verses, I'd say from, from your story, kind of defining what your race is, with God's help, and then making sure you've got the time to accomplish all of it. Right, right. Uh, so, Mike, thanks so much for uh, joining us today on the Generous Business Owner Podcast, and thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Mike, say goodbye to the folks. So long. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.